Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Reliance Podcast. Join us Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock, 9.30 or 11. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. All right, so we're, we're going to get started today. We, uh, uh, we, we're going to talk about the harvest. Uh, this is really something that's been stirring in our heart. Um, th- this is a call to the church today. I really feel this, this passion to call the church to fulfill what it is that God has called each one of us into, and that is this idea of the harvest. And so we've been talking about it over the last couple of weeks. Carl Davis really had a profound message last week. And Carl Davis brought a word on a consecrated heart for the harvest. And really his whole idea was that we are supposed to be wholly devoted to Jesus. Not all the sideshows, wholly devoted to Jesus. And this is why this is important. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. You can go there now. But, but in Matthew chapter 9, he's going to talk about that the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. Now the whole point is this. If we don't know the Lord of the harvest, we'll never get into the harvest. Amen. If we don't know who Jesus is, we don't even know what the harvest is. So Carl got our eyes redirected. Get your eyes on Jesus. Once you know Jesus, then you can get into the harvest as well. And so I loved his word. If you missed that, you can go back, listen to that on a podcast. But once we get our eyes on Jesus, then what's next? Well, we'll kind of see the springboard from Matthew chapter 22. You'll see the the great commandment. And here's what the great commandment says. And this is really where Carl and I were building this on. Uh, Matthew 22 says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. So again, that's the first one. Like we've got to get that first. Once I love the Lord with all of my being, once I'm in with the Lord with all of my being, then he's going to give us the second. And he's going to say, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, until I learn the love of the Lord, I'll never truly love my neighbor. But once I learn the love of the Lord, my neighbor, they're done for. Amen? I'm going to love all over those people, all right? So, so there's, there's an order in which this thing goes. So I've got to see Jesus. I've got to behold Jesus. This is what Carl talked about. I've got to see the Lord of the harvest. I've got to want him because he wants us. And then from that, it's going to catapult me in to the second, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what you'll see in Scripture, and this is all over the place in Scripture, is um, over and over and over, it's not really about the one. Now, you'll see parables on this. Jesus left the 99. Jesus talked about leaving the 99 for the one or lost one coin and leave all the other coins for the one. But, but those parables are to show you something, that it's not just about the one. It's about bringing the one back to the whole. That salvation isn't just about, well, I'm saved, now I'm good. It's salvation for the whole. And this is what you'll see all through Scripture. It's not just that you're good or that I'm good. The question is, does everybody have an opportunity to be good? Does everybody have an opportunity to know Jesus? Does everybody have an opportunity to come in to salvation? And so the parable of leaving the 99 for the one is, yes, he sees you when you're lost, but it's to bring you back to the whole. So you'll see this over and over in Scripture. Now, I love movies. Any movie buffs out there? 
I love movies that deal with like the hero that's selfless and, and gives up their life or the hero that's like won't let go. How many of you guys have ever watched the movie Backdraft? Any, any Backdraft fans? I'm dating myself just a tiny bit. So Backdraft, long time, it's about two firefighters. One guy's name is Bull. One guy's name is Axe. That's their firefighter names, okay? And uh, he's like, they're in this fire and this building is collapsing and they're friends and Bull has Axe by the hand and Axe started the fire it's a thing you got to watch it all right and so so he's holding him and he's slipping and and axe is starting to slip and he says just let me go bull and bull says you go i go you go i go and what he's saying is I'm not gonna let you go and then and, and the guy ends up falling in the fire and dying but it's just the way it is all right the point is the point is, in that moment, Bull's sitting there, he's grabbing him, he's going, I'm not going to let you go. You go, I go. This is the kind of heart that God wants us to have for others. You go, I go. He wants us to be knit together, not I'm good, sorry for you, Right? And there's something about the harvest that he's got to deal with in our heart that I think scripture has all over the place. And so scripture points over and over and over that this is the heart of Jesus. That's why John 15 is so important. This is what Jesus says in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now we gotta think about how Jesus has loved us. He gave his life for us. He was inconvenienced by us. We were caught, like people were constantly crowding in on him. We, like we mess things up and he's still loving us through that. So his word is, in the same way that I loved you in all of your mess, so I want you to love others in their mess. And then he says, greater love, the famous part, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is going to go on and talk about how he calls us friends. He's going to lay his life down for us. But over and over, what you see, and, and you'll see it, is that we can get so easily sidetracked in life where we come into life and we go, well, I'm a Christian now and I'm good and I'm pursuing the Lord and it's like I'm building myself up, I'm spiritually feeding myself and I'm really doing well, I'm reading my Bible for myself and we're growing in ourselves but yet we're missing the heart of the bigger family of God and that's to expand his family. And so if you and I, if all the songs that we're singing, Jesus, you're worthy, and, and all the things that are roaring in this room, come, Lord Jesus, do your thing, break open the sky, come, Jesus, and fill this place. If we really mean it, if we really mean it, then it cannot just be words that we roar, it's got to be a heart that's transformed where the words become actions. If you want to see Jesus, and I want to see Jesus, then we got to become farmers, this is why I believe we've got to become farmers because the harvest is tied, I believe, to the Lord's return. I'm gonna read this in scripture, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Well, what's his promise? That he's coming back. He's gonna come back, Jesus is gonna come back, and he's gonna, however that's gonna look, we're all gonna be caught up in the clouds or whatever your end time theology looks like. Well, he's gonna come back, I know this, he's gonna come back, he's gonna take his kids with him, Amen. 
So all I know is this. He says the Lord's not slowing and keeping that promise as some would understand slowness. So in this time, people are going, where's your Jesus? Where's he at? Where's, you said he was coming. Where, where, where's he at? Is he going to come back? When's he going to come back? He says, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the, the way that, that I read that scripture is you've got this father in heaven and you've got Jesus, the son. Now Jesus says, no one knows the time of the father's return except for him, right? No one knows the time of him. So Jesus is ready because you're his inheritance. The world is his inheritance. You're his inheritance. So the nations are his inheritance. He's like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. But the father is up there going, ah, I've still got kids out there that they don't, they don't know who I am. I've still got men, women, and children out there. They've never had an encounter with me. And so, so I know you're ready. I know you're ready to go get your inheritance. But hold up a second. I want every single person to have a chance. Every single one to at least have a chance to know me. Basically, it's like he's telling us this. As, as you run in your calling to the harvest field, which we'll talk about here in just a moment, as you run into that calling, so as the harvest comes, so as the Lord comes. But he is, he, he wants to come back just as much as you and I want him to come back. But man, he's got sons and daughters out there just don't know him yet. So what does this mean for us? Matthew 9, 35. So Jesus is going to come, he's going to tell a parable, and he's going to say, as, and, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, and, and uh, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming, this is important, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, we're going to talk about this, it's not just about salvation, it's about coming into the kingdom of God, amen? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing, somebody say healing, every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he gives this kind of parable, this, this idea. He says uh, to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. It's not a harvest issue. The labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out labors into the harvest. Now, right after that, so he's going he's gonna to talk about the harvest being plentiful. He's going to talk about like what that looks like in the harvest. And then he's going to commission them in, in, in chapter 10. Then Jesus gonna say, okay, because the harvest is plentiful, come here. He calls his 12. He gives them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. The kingdom of heaven has come near, is what he says. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. Freely you have received, freely give. In other words, if, if God has come into your life and he's transformed things and he's given you a hope and he's like, and you're hiding that from your neighbor? Why? You want to hide the love of God in you from your coworker? Why? So, so I, I was reading this story. And it, it kind of shares about maybe what this harvest thing looks like in the eyes of the Father to the American church. I'll use the American church because I like to pick on it. Um, imagine, with, imagine with me a field of vegetables that, that are ready for picking. I, I like this analogy. With the crop, it's growing ripe. In that case, the vegetables must be picked immediately or they're going to be lost for good. Each vegetable is worth money to the farmer. He, he's anxious to get them picked and out to the market before they ruin, but he needs workers. He can't, he can't do, he's not, he's not doing it all myself. He's got workers for this. So now imagine he calls on all of his workers 
to go into the field to gather the crop, but instead of moving out to reap the harvest, the field hands sit around and they're waiting for their next meal. They're complaining about conditions of the farm, just like them, right? Needless to say, the farmer would be looking for new workers. Now he says these words. Imagine God in this scenario calls on those who are field hands, the members of his family, his church, men and women of God to go out and harvest the crop. What do the field hands do? Many sit around waiting for the Lord of the harvest to bless them with more spiritual food. It's good. But just bless us with more spiritual food. Some are complaining about things they don't like on the farm, i.e. the church, right? All the while the crop, people's lives, are failing, falling, and struggling in the field. The loss is great, the price is horrifying, and the Lord of the harvest is grieved beyond measure. So we can gather in our buildings, we can gather in our rooms, and we can have riveting things, but Jesus is telling us there's a harvest out there that's waiting. It's been said, and you've heard this before, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. This has to become more than words. These songs have to become more than songs. That song that we sang, The Harvest is Ready, it's called the missionary anthem. It's like, it's not a song, it's a reality. This is what we do. The harvest is ready. We have to go. We won't stop till the whole world knows. So it's more than just words. Jesus is trying to get us out there to see what he sees, to see with his heart, to see with his eyes. He wants us to see it. This is why he's given us this analogy. Now, there's a couple of words that I wanna go through here that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter nine, verse 35. The first thing I want you to see is this. It says, and Jesus went out to the cities and the villages teaching, everybody say teaching. He was teaching in these places, and he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So here's Jesus. He's giving information. To teach means we're given information. When you come in on a Sunday morning or, or a men's group or a women's group or a house church or a small group, what you're doing is you're coming in and you're getting taught information. And it's good, right? Like, like here's what Scripture says. Here's some cool things about Scripture. Here's what the Word of the Lord says. So Jesus is teaching. There's something important about coming in, hearing the Word of the Lord being taught, But he didn't just stop with Jesus taught. He did something else as well. Do you remember what he did? He partnered with the teaching healing. Listen to what he says. Not only did he teach, he says, and healing every disease and every affliction. He took what the kingdom of God taught and he put it into action. He took what people were hearing about the kingdom of God and he showed that the kingdom of God doesn't have affliction in it. And he healed every disease and every affliction. In other words, he didn't just teach, he put application into it. If Sunday after Sunday, house church after house church, life group after life group, small group after small group, men's group after men's group, women's group after youth group after youth group, we came in, got taught a word and did nothing with it, what good is it? And so here Jesus, not only teaching, but he's activating the teaching and he's healing everything. Two more words that Jesus says right here that are really interesting. So he looks over the crowd after he's been teaching, healing people, and he's like, ah, something grabs his heart, and he uses two words when he sees them. He goes, I describe them as harassed and helpless. 
Now that word harassed, if you think about it, harassed means beaten down, berated, pushed around by, by, by life, bombarded by life, feeling defeated sometimes in life. Anybody ever felt harassed in life? Come on. So you felt harassed in life. The trials and the struggles, they've just gotten you too many times. They just punched you too many times and you're ready to quit. So Jesus is looking out around the crowd. He's going, man, those men and women, they're harassed. But it's not done. He says, they're helpless. They're they're looking, they're grasping for straws, but they can't fix anything that's going on in life. To be helpless means that we're broken and we feel like we're without purpose and we can't fix it. That's why we run after everything that we can, trying to fix our life. Harassed and helpless, helpless. They were wandering aimlessly. They had no hope. They didn't feel like they had meaning. They didn't feel like they had a reason for living. And then he says, and this is what it's like. Now, that they would understand it. He goes, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, in those times, we, we, that may not mean much to us today, but in those times, they didn't have like these big fences that fenced them you know, for miles and acres and acres and acres. They had a shepherd, and that shepherd was responsible for taking them to food and taking them to water and being their protection. And so if they didn't have a shepherd, they didn't know how to feed themselves or or go to water. They didn't have to protect themselves. And so they would wander aimlessly. The sheep would wander aimlessly, trying to follow anything that they could follow that would maybe give them something or maybe give them something of substance. So Jesus says these people are like sheep without a shepherd. They'll follow any new idea, any new fad, anything, even if it leads to their destruction because they're looking for something. And then he says those profound words. He saw the crowds helpless, harassed, and it says he had, everybody say compassion. Compassion on them. Now this is a big deal. Because I don't know about you, when I see crowds of people doing stupid things, I don't think compassion. I'm like, morons, right? Like, this is, I'm just revealing my heart. People doing stupid things, I'm like, you're dumb, right? Like, this is how I feel. Like, why are you being an idiot? What are you doing? Why are you doing those things? And that's the way. Like, I turn on the news. I'm like, dumb, right? I turn, see what's happened in the world. This is stupid. And, and I'm not looking at it with eyes of compassion. But that's not what Jesus did. He saw these people wandering, aimless, harassed, and helpless, living their life, doing their thing. And he didn't think, what idiots, because they don't know me. How stupid they are because they don't, they don't see who I am. I can't believe that they're living their life like this. That's so stupid. It says he sees them and compassion strikes his heart. And the word that he uses for compassion, it's the strongest Greek word for pity. Not like a pity party. It's pity and it describes a love that moves a person to the depths of their being. So this is Jesus going, I'm in. I can never unsee what I just saw. I can never distance myself from those people now. I can never give up on them. I can never say it's somebody else's job. I can never remove myself from the situation and go, I'm just gonna pretend it didn't happen. I saw them, compassion struck me. I'll give my life for all of them. This is what it looks like when we see with the eyes of Jesus. So my question to you then is, What do we do with harassed and helpless world that's right now in front of us in light of scripture? There's a longing to see people as worthy. I mean, there is a longing 
in God's heart to see people as worthy for the love of the Father, the hope of Jesus to be put in every single heart. And if all I'm doing, church, listen to me, if all I'm doing is spending my days trying to get my life right, Day after day, I'm just trying to get my life right. It's just about me. I'm trying to get my life. I'm just trying to do my thing. I'm trying to feed myself, trying to pull myself up, trying to go to the gym, look good for me, trying to do my thing, trying to do these things for me. If all I'm trying to do is like, look, I'm going to let the world be the world. And I'm just going to keep right here. I'm going to do my thing. We are missing the call of Jesus in our life. It is not about just you, it's about the whole. God cares about the whole. I've got four kids at home. I couldn't pick one of them and be like, oh, it's just about that one, the other three, I don't care what happens. I couldn't do it. God's got eight billion that he's looking down and going, ah, it's about the whole. It's about every one of them. I want them all to know me. And so we can't just be like, it's about me, it's about my thing. It's, we can't even get caught up of going, it's about right here, Reliance, it's about our church. We're doing our thing. God's doing our thing right here. It's about this church. Don't care what happens to other churches. Don't care what happens to other people. Don't care what happens. It cannot be that way, church. It cannot be that way. It must be about the whole. It must be about the whole. Let me tell you true revival is. You hear the buzzword revival. Everybody's saying revival these days. Revival's coming. Revival's coming. Everybody's got revival. And I believe it with all of my heart. I'm in. I'm in. I just don't think it's going to look like what we think it's going to look like. Revival is coming, but let me tell you what I believe revival is. Revival is when you and I get off our butts and get into the harvest field. This is revival, and I'm telling you, revival is when we're in the harvest field. How do I know that? Pentecost. Anybody believe Pentecost was revival? 120 people in an upper room, Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit falls, fire is in the room. I call that a bit of revival. Like something was happening in that, tongues of fire, like things were happening in that room. Let me tell you what the true revival was. The true revival wasn't just in that upper room of 120. The true revival is when the Holy Spirit filled them. They burst the doors open. They proclaimed the gospel boldly. 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. That was true revival because what would have happened in that revival if they stayed up in the upper room and they're going, look what God's doing up here. If people want to experience this, they've got to come through the doors. Let's sell tickets, right? Let's give membership into this thing. Let's let people come up to the upper room, see a little taste of the glory of God, then they need to come back next Sunday, right? They need to come back next Sunday. That's not revival. Revival's what happened in the room that caused them to burst the doors open, run out, run down the streets proclaiming the name of Jesus, and everybody's going, they're drunk. These guys are off their rockers, but I want it. So Jesus comes in, and he uses the same metaphor in Samaria when he encounters the Samaritan woman at the well. He uses the same exact metaphor. If you remember, the woman at the well, Jesus sees her. She's there in the noonday hour. It's hot, and he's like, why are you here in the noonday hour? We know they considered her a harlot in town. She had a bad reputation because all the men she had been with. She, she was outcast in society, so she had to go when nobody else was there. Jesus sees a woman who's harassed and helpless, offers her living water. She gets filled with the love of Christ. She runs down the street or the road or the mountain or whatever she was on, goes into her town, begins to proclaim this man of God who told me everything about my life. So right after that, here in, in John 4, 35, Jesus, he's walking with his disciples now into Samaria, and he says to them this saying, he says, don't you have a saying, Jesus sees this is trickery here, right? Don't you have a saying, 
it's still four months until harvest. So they had a saying in those days, apparently, that, that they would say, well, it's still four months until harvest. In other words, the harvest isn't quite yet. It's not ready quite yet. Still four months away. And Jesus says these words, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest now. And here's what we do in church life. One day I'll get to the harvest field when it's ready. It's not quite ready yet. One day I'll get out there. One day when I equip myself and I feel good about myself and I feel like I know the Bible well enough and I feel like I can pray well enough and I can sing like these cats up here, right? That's pretty good, right? One day I'll go into the harvest field and then, and Jesus says, open your eyes right now. The harvest field is ready. Open your eyes. And then something happens in the days following It says in verse 41, they go into Samaria and begin to proclaim the kingdom of God. And Samaritan village after Samaritan village begins to give their life to Christ. Will you, church, youth, will you take responsibility for your field? For your Eisenhower, your Goddard, your Mays, your high school, and Cheney, whatever your high school is. Will you take responsibility for your field? You, church, will you take responsibility for your field? Let me just say this to you. Every single person has a field. You go to the gym, okay? You're trying to look good in the gym, trying to work out. You're trying to develop yourself. You, want to, you know what I'm talking about? You're not there just to develop yourself at the gym. God has planted you there because you've got a field in front of you. You go to your work. We, we could go through everything you're a part of. You're planted there because it's your field. Will you take responsibility for your field? Listen, we will never have a sense of urgency and priority until we realize we're responsible for them. We're responsible for them. Paul has something that's just always gripped in my heart in Acts chapter 20. I've read it in here multiple times. I feel even more gripped today. Acts chapter 20 verse 24 says, Paul says, I don't count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only... I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, you received a ministry from Jesus. If you signed up for the blood of the lamb and he came into you, you signed your name. I'm I'm in. I'm into the ministry that you've given to me. What's the ministry you've given to me? To reconcile the world back to him. I finished my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of grace, the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you who are among uh, me, uh, whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, there it is again, it's not just salvation, it's living in the kingdom of God. Listen, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am what? Innocent of the blood of all. Here's what Paul's saying. Had I not run my race, Had I not lived out the calling that God had on my life, I'd have been guilty. (sighs) I know Jesus' blood covers our guilt. I know that. Praise the Lord. Amen. But there is a call on my life. If this love of Christ is in me, if Jesus saved your life, and he saved your life, and your life, and your life, and your life, and he saved my life. If I'm just going to hide that inside of me and not share that with others that are helpless and harassed, what good is it? For I did not, verse 27, shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Church, I'll say it again. 
to care for the church, which he obtained with his blood. You shepherd somebody. I'm telling you. I keep using the gym as an, an analogy because we go to the gym, we work out, we do our thing, we stay for, lose weight, I get big, I want to have that, whatever. Look, you're, it's, it's not about that and that alone. Go to the gym and open your eyes and see, see what the Lord is doing. You will find people walking around harassed and helpless. You'll walk around and you'll find young men, young women. You'll find people there. They're going, I have no worth and I have no value. Nobody likes me. And I come here because I'm trying to find worth and value. They're trying to cling to whatever they can. I have no worth and I have no value. Now here's the thing. If what you've been taught is that you have value in Jesus, this is what Jesus did. Activate that now. That person walking around, activate. Go up to them. Tell them, hey, you have worth and value in Jesus' name. Watch what happens. It'll change everything. I think at times we have this idea that when the harvest comes, we think of missionaries, we think of people passing out trash, we think of evangelists coming to town. But I think that Jesus had something much more for us than that because he's gonna talk about that harvest, go back to Matthew 10, and he's gonna say that he gives authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse those who have lepers, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I wanna say it one more time so we just get it in this house. That impure spirit might be somebody walking around just downcast, and your one thing that you're supposed to just walk up to that person and say, hey, the word of the Lord teaches me that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I wanna pray for the joy of the Lord over you. I want to freely give, he freely gave it to me, I want to freely give it to you. So what you see really in Matthew 9 and 10 is you see a collision of two kingdoms. This is all it is. It's a collision of two kingdoms. There are those who are helpless, harassed, and hopeless. And that kingdom is colliding with the kingdom of God, which is hope and healing and restoration. And he's asking today, he's asking, Who's in? Who's in this thing? Who's going to jump in this thing? Who's going to get dirty in the harvest field? Let me just tell you, if you ever see a farmer and it's harvest season and he comes out of that and he looks pristine, he really wasn't in the harvest field. He would come out, hands are going to be dirty, probably a little blood from fixing some of the stuff. It's not always easy in the harvest field, but it's worth it. Amen. This is what God is calling us to. So I just want to empower you just for a moment. I don't have some gripping, heartfelt, like wooing thing to try to pull you in. We're in just a second where you get up, we're going to roar this song again together. But I think what we do with Matthew 9, 35, the harvest is plentiful, the works, I think we make it cutesy. I think we put it on coffee mugs. I think we put it on walls. Harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Everybody raws. Yeah, that's so good. I just don't know that I look at that scripture like that anymore. I think I see the heart of a father looking down at eight billion people going, ah, I've got sons and daughters that don't know me. I've got men and women that are helpless and harassed and I've got a whole bunch of people in the church that have encountered me and I need them in the harvest field. 
I've got men and women all across Wichita that have encountered me. I need them in the harvest field. And so when I read that, now I don't read it as the cutesy on the mug. I see it from a heart of one father to another father. If I was looking at my kids, I would rip the sky open to find them. And God's going, I want to rip open that harvest field for you to find them. Has ever seen that movie Hacksaw Ridge? I don't know why I'm in the movie of trivia today. Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody ever seen Forrest Gump? Anybody Christians in the room? Right? Okay. In Hacksaw Ridge and in Forrest Gump, you see something there in this war, and they run in just one more, just one more, and they grab somebody off the battlefield and they come out and they drag them out and they lay them on the ground, and everybody goes, "Stop! Stop! Stop! You can't go back in. Just one more." just one more and they grab him they pull him back out and they pull him back over to safety everybody goes stop you can't go back in just one more just one more and they drag him over here and they put him back down when I think of those movies I think the Lord is going just one more just one more just one more neighbor, just one more coworker, one more family member, one more person in Africa, one more person in Asia, one more person in North America, one more person in South America, just one more, just one more. Let that burn in your heart this morning. Just one more, one more that know Jesus, one more that can taste his love, one more that's gonna have their names written in the book of life, one more that encounters his salvation. Just one more, everybody say just one more. Just one more, one more, one more, one more. This morning, will you get into the harvest field? Will you have a battle cry that says, just one more? Will you stand? We're going to sing this together. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray. We don't have time, Jesus, to sit there and say, well, maybe, maybe next year for the harvest. Maybe next year I'll get involved. Maybe a couple years from now when things are just a little bit easier in life, I'll get involved in the harvest. Today, Jesus, just one more. Just one more today, Jesus. I pray, God, the greatest revival in America history would happen, not because of a building that we're in, but because we burst out of these doors. We all have this battle cry. Just one more. Jesus, I pray this morning as we roar out this missionary anthem that we believe what it is that we're singing. The harvest is ready. We have to go. We won't stop till the whole world knows. There's power in the blood to save every soul. We're not afraid or ashamed and we won't back down from the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this together. harvest is ready we have to go we won't stop till the whole world knows the power in your blood to save every soul we're not ashamed of the gospel the harvest is ready
Just one more, just one more. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Thanks for listening to today's message. To find out more about who we are, find us on the Church Center app. See you all next week.